You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. and move on to something else, but this is David's pick on America's Web Radio, and uh, I'm the only one that gets to pick the show that I get to do, and uh, we have sort of dedicated uh, David's pick to uh, military and also to um, the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and uh, it strikes very close to home, and the great guys that... Rick White does a fantastic job at the Hall of Fame and uh, has sent us guests that are just absolutely outstanding, and we've got one today. But we always have to start it out with a Jody because I love my Jodies. And uh, uh, all of the guys that have come in, um, officers and enlisted, we've talked about the importance of the Jody and. You know, when that uh, drill sergeant or whoever it ha- happened to be, uh, your platoon leader or whatever, uh, started up the Jody, it sort of got you out of the mood that you were in, and they were fun. Unless you were, you had just gotten a Dear John letter. But they were still fun. Today's guest, we've got Greg Camp in. And Greg, welcome to America's Web Radio. Thank you, David. Um, I hope I hope you've heard some at least decent things about what we do on the show. I certainly have. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Ah, well, I don't know about honor, but uh, we appreciate you coming into the studio and being with us. And folks can follow us on YouTube or Facebook and uh, watch uh, Greg as we do the show. And uh, we'll be getting some good information from Greg. And you want to just give us a little bio of. Um, you're in the Hall of Fame, and uh, you served in Nam. And I, I always make the statement that make sure that I don't want to mislead anybody. I don't want to be like a Connecticut uh, senator or whatever. I and and I I don't even know when they changed this, but they uh, started uh, a thing of saying, "Well, you served in the Vietnam era," and uh, yeah, I did, and. Uh, that was about all I did was was be in the era, and I guess that was because of age and uh, what they called back then was the lottery. And, uh, <laughs> I was uh, number twelve in the lottery, so <laughs> I I didn't didn't get much lottery out of it, and uh, I joined uh, I joined the reserves and I I did my my time in the reserves. But uh, anybody like Greg that went to Nam, I have all the respect in the world for and. It was um, 
until recently, I don't think accepted as it should have been accepted. And when you guys came back from Nam, it it, it was total deplorable. And uh, so, well, tell us what you did, and um, we'll get going from there. Well, um, I, I was actually I was in Vietnam uh, from June of 1969 till June of 1970, uh, and. I was a uh, infantry platoon leader in the 1st Cavalry Division uh, for the first uh, several months I was there, and then I became the battalion scout platoon leader, a recon platoon leader. Ooh. And uh, and I did that for uh, a short period of time, and then I became a company commander for the last half. So I spent the first half of my tour as a platoon leader and the last half as a company commander. Well, the company commander, uh, I can appreciate the uh, platoon leader. Um, you you had a uh, target on you. Yeah, uh, the the platoon leader position is you know I mean it doesn't get much closer to the front than that. No, and uh, well, by 1970 they had finally wised up and uh, gone with the camouflage insignia. Oh yeah, yeah that that actually happened early on in the. Uh, in the war, I think after the first big battle at, at Landing Zone X-ray that was made famous by that movie, We Were Soldiers. Uh, shortly after that, they realized so many soldiers had 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 been uh, hit in the arms where their where their garrison kind of patches, particularly the first cab, the huge big yeah, uh, ye- yellow, yellow, yellow and black patch. It's a wonder it didn't uh, flash. And and uh, so it was almost immediately after that battle that they started doing subdued um, insignia. And now they've got, uh, you know, you got to look for it almost. Uh, my, right, my right. Son's, That's uh, true. In the Air Force, and uh, they're wearing it right in the middle of the chest. That's exactly and, uh, right. It's um, they don't even call fatigues fatigues anymore. No, they. In fact, I'm not sure if I'm even up to. It used to be a battle dress uniform, and then it was. Uh, camouflaged. Uh, no, I think they go by BDU. Like <coughs> still BDUs. Yeah. Okay. And uh, which catches me off guard yeah. when, when I see my son and and uh, uh, his camouflaged uh, in the Air Force. I don't know what they're hiding from uh, the big plane. I guess. Or something. <laughs> I'm not sure, but uh, anyway. Well, you were in the thick of it before we decided to uh, jump out, huh? It, it was. Uh, I, now in. I was not there in, in the really thick of it, which was the earlier days, the 66, 67, and the Tet of 68 offensive were certainly much more um, uh, intense fighting than than what I in, uh, you know experienced in 69 and 70. But, yeah, we were still, I think we were actually there during the height of our uh, buildup. I mean, I think there were more troops actually in Vietnam when I arrived uh, than at any point during the conflict. And by the time I left... Uh, they were starting to draw down. You know, one of the reasons, other than I didn't like the idea of bullets going by my head, but uh, do you think there was... I never got that Vietnam was defined. Uh, You know, we had all this stuff, we're stopping communism, we're doing this and we're doing that, but there was really not a... In fact, Ho Chi Minh had been a, an ally at one time. Right, right. And uh, I just, and and I never saw any of our presidents, even though they sent more and more and spent more and more, and they did more and more, but I never saw any of them really trying to win. And, 
Well, you know, it, it, when I was, I mean, I was young. I was 23 uh, when I went there, and, and I was full of patriotism and, uh, you know, uh, and the, the flag and communism and the domino theory and all those sorts of things uh, were forefront in my mind uh, at the time. Uh, and, and, of course, I think every soldier would tell you that when they're in combat, what they're really fighting for is the guy on the left and right of them. Yeah. Uh, and, but... Um, but as I've aged and as I've looked at some, you know, reflective looks at, at uh, the, uh, the war in Vietnam, you know, it was altogether different from what those of us young folks thought and knew at the time. Um, uh, you know, I lived down in Columbus, and, and uh, um, of course, we're right next door to Fort Benning. And one of our previous commanding generals, H.R. Um, uh, McMaster, who, who for about a year or so was the uh, national security advisor for President Trump, but he wrote a book uh, called Dereliction of Duty, and really it is, a, it, it is a scathing commentary on our senior leadership, both military and civilian leadership, and how they got us into the war and how they sustained the war for every reason except for winning the war. Every reason except for winning the yeah. war. Uh, and the biggest reason was, like I just pointed money. And, yeah. uh, and, our, and politics, too. And oh, politics. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the <coughs> biggest winner in that war was a lady named Lady Bird. And uh, she made a ton. Her ships would come in. The uh, dock masters would get them unloaded, turned around, and headed back out. And uh, I have friends that were... Uh, Naval police and military police that, uh, you know, the, the corruption in Vietnam was just incredible. I, that is That almost took our army down, too. Uh, it took us a long time after we got out of Vietnam uh, to get the integrity back in the army because uh, things were so loose uh, in terms of, of the way that the army had accounted for material people, equipment, ammunition, you name it. Uh, when we were in Vietnam, uh, almost all those rules uh, were, were ditched. Uh, and, and, you know, in the Army, because uh, I stayed in the Army after Vietnam, but in the Army post-Vietnam, we had some serious, uh, you know, um, things we had to do to, to regain our integrity. Okay, you know, and I... I'm I'm not putting down anybody, and I have all the respect in the world for for anybody that serves in any capacity. But um, I had so many friends uh, that, and you and I are probably uh, very close to the same age. That uh, you know, either left um, were dra- either drafted or lottery. I was right at the tail end of the draft, and they were. I knew draftees, and I knew people that were in the lottery that were more or less forced to join. But the one thing I do know for a fact with the friends that I've had that went to Nam is um, if the civilians during that time had known. Now, we had all the riots and we had all the people anti-Vietnam, but they really didn't know what the hell they were talking about, in my opinion, for the most part. But I think Vietnam was probably one of the nastiest engagements that we ever participated in. And some of our military 
did and were ordered to do things that uh, it was almost like you could say they were fighting fire with fire and uh, that wasn't the way you know we had come out the last big war was World War II and we'd come out of it and I don't want to say it was a war is hell and war war is bad under any circumstance but I look at World War II as more or less a clean war in that you know, you had the bad guys on one side, and and you respected the Geneva Convention, and the, and even in the prison camps, there was still some some something. And whereas in Vietnam, it was uh, uh, the Vietnamese were animals, and uh, we gave back what they gave us in many cases, which man can't live like that. Yeah, I, I think that uh, you make a good point, David. I think there were a lot of times where, um, where, where soldiers were responding to what had happened to them the day before, and uh, um, uh, but uh, you know the the other thing I think that made Vietnam uh, unusual is there were all these uh, rules of engagement, oh. and and the rules of engagement went from. From being so restrictive, you know that, um, that that it made it difficult to fight, to being so open that it made it open to war crimes. You know, if you were in a free fire zone, basically uh, the rules were shoot at anything that moves. Well, you know, the assumption is there's nobody in there that's not that's not an enemy a soldier. Uh, but if you make a mistake, uh, if your intelligence makes a mistake and there's a mountain yard village in there that you didn't know about, uh, you know, the hey, the rules are anything that moves. And, and that caused people in some cases to shut off their mind and make conscious decisions that, that, that I think that the young soldiers, you know, in, in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, are much uh, more likely to make now. I think they... I think they have to determine who's friend and who's foe. Uh, they, you know, their their job uh, in in Afghanistan and formerly in Iraq. Uh, I, I have all the respect in the world for them because they have a very very tough job. Oh, it's incredible! And if people don't know, it's it's like you know, uh, open your robe and let me see whether you've got yeah, a weapon or yeah, not. Exactly. And uh, by the time you find out, you're dead. And um, you know, I, and I, I come back and I say this almost every week, and I'm sure people are getting tired of hearing me, but when you said rules of engagement, I just, I, yeah, I tensed because the people that set up these rules of engagement, chances are they've never been there, never done that. Right. They don't know what right. the hell they're talking about. And I'm a very big proponent of that everybody that we hire to serve in our Congress we vote for should have some form of active duty and should have served in some capacity preferably if they're voting on in a war situation that they they were there and that they don't know what it is to have you know oh well he has PTSD. Why does he have PTSD? They don't know. And uh, that's what's the matter with the VA. That's what's the matter with a, a lot of situations in our government is that we've elected or we've hired attorneys or 
people that have never served never will serve, and they can't relate. And I think this is, uh, I think it's a shame, and I think uh, in the future uh, I'm I'm personally for having uh, only elected officials that have also served, uh, particularly if, if we're in a war situation. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm no expert on this, but my, my perception is that, you know, after World War II, um, it seems like most of our elected officials were combat veterans, whether they were Democrats or Republicans. Mm-hmm. But because they also had previously just shared a bond of fighting against a, a common enemy, that the bipartisanship, I believe, was greater. I uh, agree with you more. And, and I, you know, I think that um, we could we could do with a lot more of that. I think people that have that have fought uh, together uh, can find a way to work together uh, as well. You know, there's, uh, and again, I say this almost every every show, but uh, you and I have a common bond, and that we can talk about. Whatever, if it's AIT or Eleven Bush, Eleven Bravo, um, but the military, in my estimation, and and it's and it's even in my age, I, I continually change my look at it a little bit. But um, we were part of the biggest fraternity and sorority in the world, and uh, I'm so proud of my youngest son being in the Air Force. He's a, captain in the air force serving in germany and um you know we can all relate we've all been there we've all heard the jodies and uh we know what it means we're going to take a short break and um, we'll be back in a few minutes and we'll be talking more with the greg camp and uh, what he did in nam and uh, were you mechanized no uh we were air assault so we we, we came in by helicopter and and you know, uh, spent usually you know two or three weeks out in the field, and then we get we'd get moved back by helicopter. Sometimes we'd have a, a combat assault during the middle of that two or three weeks, but mostly we were ground pounders inserted and extracted by helicopters. Ah, oh, didn't get to ride in the dusty APC. No, uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> All righty, we'll be back right after this. morning. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
And we're back on America's Web Radio and David's pick on America's Web Radio. And uh, as many people know, you can pick the show up all over the world. And we do thank the people that have written in and uh, made comments. And we certainly uh, will answer any comments you might make. We're available on all of the known uh, podcast servers in the country. Uh, anything from iTunes, Google, up and down the gambit. Uh, we're on them. We also, you can go to our website, americaswebradio.com, and download this show within the next couple of days and um, play it back over and over again or however many times you want. And um, we have uh, we have quite an audience uh, in Australia and uh, the U.K. that listen to uh, our classic car show as well as this show. And um, we have a, a number of veterans that have picked up on uh, what we're doing here and uh, you know as I remind again every week remind people in fact in a couple of shows we remind them uh, particularly about if you're coming to Atlanta please go down and take a look at the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and take your own box of Kleenex Uh, but there's stories there that will just absolutely amaze you and Rick White Colonel retired. He and Paul uh, Lungier that uh, started it are just great, great folks. And uh, Rick helps me all the time. And uh, do you know a nicer guy, Greg? No, Rick. Rick and Paul both are incredibly uh, nice gentlemen. But they they also um, have done an unbelievable job in creating that uh, Hall of Fame from scratch. Uh, I had the the privilege of talking to them when they were in the formative stage of that, when they were just thinking about it. Uh, and I remember thinking, wow, that's a, a daunting task you guys have got. And and then uh, most recently, uh, you know, I was up at the uh, Capitol here a month ago, and I was uh, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 I what they have accomplished is nothing short of ju- truly amazing, just amazing. My hats off to them and and all that they've done to honor uh, you know the veterans of of Georgia. You know, there's they have sort of turned themselves into a catalyst. And uh, with that being said, we've got Georgia is turning into a center of uh, of acknowledgement of not only Vietnam but of all veterans. And first responders. Uh, there's a, a new thing on first responders that will be coming out shortly. And then my town where I live, Johns Creek, is um, they bought the, the half-size uh, portable healing wall, the Vietnam Veterans Wall, a, a, the copy of it that's half-scale of the one in Washington, D.C., and they have installed it permanently in Johns Creek, Georgia, where any time, day or night, they, they're having, having the ceremony uh, March the 28th. If you want to mark your calendar, uh, they're inviting everyone to come out to the healing wall, and it's uh, it's quite a salute. And then also, uh, Peachtree City has a uh, memorial to uh, veterans, which uh, I haven't been to yet, but we have the gentleman that started that coming on very shortly, and you know, I I couldn't imagine. 
I was ordered when I when I was coming back from from AIT. I wasn't coming back from Vietnam, but I was ordered to not wear my uniform. And sure enough, when I got to Hartsville, there were people waiting. This was in uh, 1970. And there were people waiting to uh, yell and scream and spit and do whatever. And it was a little hard with the hair with the haircut that the military provided us and uh, and the uh, green bag that you were carrying not to be recognized and the insults and I and then the flag burnings and the, all of that I just Greg I don't know today if if I were to walk into a situation where somebody was burning our flag I'm not sure what I'd do and, uh, well, I, I totally agree with you. I, you know, people, things that people have a right to do sometimes are just not right to do. Uh, and and uh, so, but if you juxtapose that against uh, the last 18 years, I have had uh, the privilege of working down in Columbus at the National Infantry Museum. Oh, I and Been there, done that many times. And, I love it. And uh, just last week, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we were we were voted again the best free museum in America, uh, beating out among others the Smithsonian uh, in Washington wow. D.C., uh, the the Crystal Bridges Museum, which is the Wal- Walmart uh, Walton's uh, two billion dollar art museum. Um, uh, but one of the things that's there, David, and I don't know if you've seen it because it's relatively new, is a Global War on Terrorism memorial that we just dedicated in 2017. And I like to refer to it as the Vietnam Wall on steroids. It is <laughs> unbelievable. And and, um, and there are eight five-foot-by-eight-foot panels that are ten inches thick that are that are set at angles to each other. And on the front of, of those panels uh, are the names on the front of all eight and the back of four of them are the names of every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine that we've lost since 9-11. Mm-hmm. And every, Saturday, first, every first Saturday after Labor Day, we rededicate that uh, memorial and add the names of those that we've lost in the previous 12 months. And each one of these ceremonies wow. is just unbelievable. It, it, is, it is such a different feeling to those of us who came back from Vietnam. And I share your feeling in 1970 when I got back, and I know exactly how you're, what you're talking about. But when you see these, when you see these Gold Star families, last year we had 250 Gold Star families uh, show up uh, to to honor their loved ones uh, that whose names are etched on those on those granite panels. Um, it is it is amazing, and and it faces uh, a three quarter replica Vietnam Wall that that we also have down at the museum as well that was uh, given to us by. <coughs> Dignity Memorial, uh, which is the company that traveled it around the country for about 20 years before they retired it uh, at the museum. We bought ours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they gave us theirs, but it cost us a lot of money to install it, and we're now in the process of, of uh, it, it was it was a um, sort of a fiberglass wall uh, and never intended to sit out for more than 10 days, and uh, after four years in the Georgia sun, it was about to to uh, turn uh, completely white. Uh, so we're now replacing it in the process of replacing it with granite, uh, and uh, and all that is a uh, major undertaking, but all well worth it. Um, but it it is um, 
Yeah, it's it's a real um, change in the way our country views our veterans. And, and I, personally, I think a lot of it, even like my children, you know, they weren't alive during Vietnam, but sort of almost by osmosis, I feel like uh, the generations uh, that came after Vietnam um, have have sort of pledged to never again do what we did to our Vietnam veterans, and that is, you know, treat them with uh, the disrespect that, that, that we had. The war itself, I, I got it. You know, people were very divided about the war. People hated the war. But because they hated the war, they hated the warriors. And that and that should never happen. No. And it doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't. No. You know, uh, again, I always say uh, you see a veteran, you see a person in their uh, BDUs, you see a person in, uh, in uniform, whatever, whether it's a first responder or military, man, woman, whatever. If they're in the airport or they're traveling, buy them a meal, buy them a drink. Just yeah. it'll do more for you than it will for yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. And it'll exactly. make you feel so good that you know every hair on your head will stand up yep. all the way down to your toes. The other thing I gotta add, now you work at the museum there on right. Fort Benning, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I gotta ask this question. I've been through it uh, three times, I think. Um, like I said, my youngest son. Uh, is in the Air Force, and uh, uh, that would have been probably a little help in kicking him towards the military, maybe. But I got to ask, and only another person that's been there and done that, like yourself, how do you all pump in that military smell? <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. There is, I mean, there's <laughs> stuff with the uh, utility belts, there's stuff with uh, yeah. all different things that you have in the military, and there's a certain smell. Well, you know, we, we, we've got a couple of what we refer to as immersion experiences, and the Vietnam immersion experience is probably the most popular one where where you go into this uh, sort of enclosed area, and you get the, the pretty much full Vietnam service from a firefight to a monsoon rainstorm, uh, bungee sticks, uh, you know, the helicopters flying over. Boom! Yeah, the thumping of the helicopters, and the whole idea is is as best you can to try to transport people into into the conditions that we're trying to replicate, to give them uh, at least some limited experience of of what we're trying to honor there by those who served, and and whether whether it's the Vietnam one, we also have a, a World War One. Uh, immersion experience. We're about to uh, create a global war on terrorism immersion experience. Uh, so we, we, you know, we we do our best to to try to make it as realistic as possible. That's fantastic. I, I uh, again, I mention this as often as I can. Uh, by the way, uh, want to want to uh, Bob Babcock, who has Deeds Publishing and has a book out called "I'm Ready to Talk." I know Bob, and, yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, it's a great book, and it's experiences of of folks that served in Nam. Um, but I guess I can sit here and and almost get chills thinking about my my biggest heroes with Vietnam are the dust off pilots. My God, what they went through to save lives yep. and the things that they did and the flying experiences with no no regard to their safety at exactly. all. Exactly. And uh, how many people they saved, uh, I don't know if there's any count or if there'd ever be a way to, to count them, but yeah. uh, the dust-off pilots, and we had uh, 
Donna on that uh, I'm sure you know that was a uh, triage nurse in Vietnam and Donna Rowe and um, she's also a uh, Hall of Fame inductee and uh, Donna was just fantastic and I told her I said uh, you know I've if I was wounded in a in a triage center and looked up, I would know I was dead because looking at you, I would have felt like I'd just gone to heaven or something, you know. <laughs> but uh, she's a beautiful lady and with a beautiful story, and uh, it was uh, we were honored to have her in in studio and get to talk to her, just as we are today with uh, Greg. Um, were you in North or South Vietnam? I was in South. South, yeah. yeah. I was down uh, in Tainan province, uh, uh, Song Bay province. Uh, the last six weeks I was in Vietnam, I was actually in Cambodia. That was during the Cambodian incursion when we moved in, and and, uh, and our unit found a huge, huge uh, weapons cache, uh, weapons and ammunition cache while we were up there, a huge rice cache uh, while we were up there. Uh, so, yeah, it was um, – but we were, we were down uh, – in the southern part uh, of the the country, so the cash was it Chinese or yes. Russian? Chinese. China, in fact, I have a Chinese communist pistol uh, that I got out of that uh, little seven point six two pistol, brand new. Uh, it was never never been fired. Um, I can't remember now how many we found, but I mean it was it was it was uh, like twenty eight different um, separate uh, huge. Uh, caches in this one area, so th- they would be covered with bamboo and and so forth. And each each one was like a um, pavilion, you know, like you might go to a state park and have a pavilion uh, wow. where you could, you know, have ten or fifteen or twenty uh, picnic tables in there. Each one was like that. Of course, it was a jungle like, uh, and they were spread over a, a, an area, um, <coughs> and we. You know, we were able to backhaul all that out or destroy it. Uh, if we couldn't backhaul it out, we destroyed it. Um, but yeah, it was it was huge. And then the rice cash, we we backhauled that and gave it to the South Vietnamese. Interesting. I, I hadn't heard that story. Um, I'm sure you've got a story in uh, Bob's book. Uh, no, I, I know Bob, but I, I I don't have a story in his book. Bob is a big 22nd Infantry guy, uh, and. Um, there is a memorial, a 22nd Infantry Memorial at the Infantry Museum. And, um, you know, I know Bob uh, through another friend of ours, a guy named Steve Russell. And Steve uh, was a congressman in, in, Cal- in, um, in Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, he and Bob are very close, and I'm close to Steve Russell, so that's how I met, oh, okay. that's how I met Bob. Um, do you feel like, are we going to avoid another Vietnam or do you think it's inevitable that uh, we may get in a situation of another Vietnam? I mean, we we're certainly in a still in a quagmire in Afghanistan, uh, but it's sort of a different quagmire. Yeah, <clears throat> I, you know, again, I'm no expert on this, but I, I think there are some some specific differences between Vietnam and and you know the Middle East and Afghanistan, even though there's a lot of similarities. Uh, but one of the differences is um, that Afghanistan, in particular, uh, became the you know the, the training ground for for terrorists who actually attacked the United States and and our allies in Europe as well. And so, 
you know, we weren't actually existentially threatened by the North Vietnamese. I mean, the North Vietnamese you know, were never a threat to the homeland. We, we, they were never going to come over and take down, you know, San Francisco Harbor or anything like that. Uh, the terrorists that, that, you know, had free reign in Afghanistan uh, did actually come and, and certainly had plans to do many, many more, as well as all over Europe and our allies. So it seems to me that... <clears throat> that um, keeping some level of military force there to make sure that they don't have a opportunity to to reestablish terrorist training bases in Afghanistan is in our best interests uh, and while it may be the best of a bunch of bad options because everybody would surely love for all of our soldiers to come home uh, sometimes you know you just got to pick up a bunch pick the best of a bunch of bad options and then when people tell you, well, that's a bad option, you just say, okay, well, I got it. Um, the others are worse. <clears throat> you know, Greg, uh, I, uh, I love the country. I, I love my country. I love my state. But if I had one rock to throw, and Richard uh, Dix, General Dix, and I kid about this uh, frequently, is that the U.S., ever since our inception in my opinion, and since the Revolutionary War or before, we've never had, we've always more or less thought of ourselves and can't believe that everybody's not like us. And why doesn't everybody have a republic or democracy, you know? Why would they want to live like that instead of... And we've never had a great foreign policy ever, in my opinion. And it's sort of like... I was at uh, in Fort Stewart as as Desert Shield had started and Desert Storm and what are they doing at Fort Hood and 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 um, Fort Stewart right now? They're painting all of the mechanized vehicles a light tan instead of OD green, which stuck out like a sore thumb in Iraq. And uh, you know. Who was in charge? Why didn't somebody say, well, you know, before we go into Iraq, we really need to change the color. <laughs> we don't need to pull them out of Europe uh, and have green as a target. And, you know, it's not only that. It's not. It's it's our understanding. And this goes back to the politicians that, that you know, it's sort of our way or the highway. And it's not. Every country has their own thing. And uh, we should respect it and... Leave them to their own thing. Yeah, I, you know, it's sort of it's sort of heresy what you're saying, but I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that sometimes we try to impose our value system on cultures that have been around a lot longer than us, <clears throat> and even if even if that's an admirable goal, <laughs> you know, you can't do it overnight. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I think we, I think we, you know, have a responsibility to try to do what we can in the term, and you know, to to make uh, human rights uh, um, available to, to as many people as we can. Uh, but you got to question whether or not uh, we've been better off in some cases by some of the things that we have done, trying to impose our form of uh, democracy and and so forth on countries that aren't ready for it uh, or don't have a a culture of it. Um, but, um, you know, we, 
what, <laughs> once you open the box, though, you, you know you got to you, you can't you can't go back and 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 you know. Um, put everything back like it was, and then you got to deal with 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 what you've done. So, I mean, we've sort of opened that box in the Middle East, uh, and now we're going to have to deal with it as best as we can. And it's a messy box, and it always been a messy box. Um, oh, yeah. But we didn't always realize, you know, the a lot of what uh, a lot of what we're going. If you're in the oil industry, uh, what we're going through today could have been, uh, in again, in my opinion which doesn't count for much, but could have been stopped in the uh, early 50s by Eisenhower when Saudi Arabia had nothing. And uh, we built all, we put all the pumps, we did our oil companies went into, and then in the early 50s, mid-50s, I guess, really, uh, Saudi Arabia nationalized it and just said, those are no longer your oil wells. Those are our oil wells. Even though we had agreement after agreement right. that they were getting a piece of it, and yada da da da. And uh, Eisenhower did nothing. He said, "Well, well, Mobile and all the rest, you've lost your oil wells." And and, and the same thing happened to, to the British in in Persia, which is now Iran. You know, before that, I mean, they came in. And and they were the you know before World War One they they were in there drilling and had pipelines to to get the oil out that's what that's what fueled the, the British Navy during World War One but again you know they uh, the Iranians uh, nationalized uh, those oil wells um, I just finished reading a book called uh, the New Silk Roads and it's all about it's all about the the, the Middle East Iran uh, Afghanistan. Uh, um, uh, Iraq, uh, that whole area over really o- over a long period of time, but but the the interesting part of it, you know, sort of beginning of the nineteenth cent- beginning of the twentieth century, you know, on up to the present, and it's just a, you know, it, it is absolutely a mess. It's just a, it's just huh. one, it's just one mess after another. And I bet you there's <clears throat> not one person in D.C. that understands it. Well, it is a, uh, it's it, it's. It's incredibly complicated, um, but um, yeah, but I, I but I, I understand what you're saying. You know, we 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 sometimes think that that we know best, and and I think that we're naive uh, if if we don't fully understand other cultures uh, and the history of, of other of other nations and other regions uh, before we go in and try to impose our our way of life on them. And this is, uh, I think this has been, I don't want to say downfall, but certainly our mistake in in many cases. And uh, I wish I could say I see that it's getting better, but the Gulf War, uh, it, it ain't getting any better. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> this is a shame. And I don't, I, it'll affect your kids, your grandkids, and, and mine as well. So, but... You know, it's been a long time since I was perfect. So, <laughs> me too, if, if ever. Yeah. But uh, back to Vietnam, and um, if if I were to guess, you saw things that you never anticipated seeing in your life. Yeah, and, and as a young man, uh, you know, and um, um, 
not to diverge the subject, but one of one of the things I did want to talk about a little bit, and it's related to Vietnam, uh, is is the Hall of Fame, the Georgia Hall sure. of Fame. So, <clears throat> you know, I had the privilege of talking to, to Paul and and Rick before they started it, but also <clears throat> I uh, was able to <coughs> excuse me, I was able to nominate somebody <clears throat> who I think is a really um, wonderful Georgian and wonderful military man uh, who's who's actually much more well known for, for being a sports hero. Um, so Mel Pinder uh, was an uh, Olympic gold medalist uh, in the 4x400 uh, relay, I think in the Tokyo Olympics, um, and uh, also was a finalist in the 100 meters. Um, and and I, I met Mel um, uh, when uh, he was coaching track up at West Point um, and got to know him really well. And as I got to know him, what I realized is between Olympics, uh, he he was a company commander in the 82nd Airborne in Vietnam, earned the Bronze Star Medal for Valor. You know, uh, I mean, this was a guy who was a world-class athlete, I mean, an Olympic champion, uh, but he was a soldier, too. And, uh, he, and he was dumb enough to jump out of planes? And he, and he jumped out of planes and, <laughs> and, and, you know, got shot at and everything else. And in between all that... Uh, you know, or on, on either side of that, you know, he represented our country in the Olympics. And what what better kind of person to be in the in the Georgia uh, Military Veterans Hall of Fame than somebody like like Mel? And then a second story, which which was ironic when uh, when Rick called me uh, uh, last fall and said, "Hey, you know, you've been selected for this class." Uh, I was first of all, I was just so. Uh, honored and, and dumbfounded, and um, and so he sent me the list of all the people that had been uh, that had been selected for that year. And so my name was first because it's alphabetical, and Camp is the first one. The second name was a guy named Rich Durden, uh, Dundon, and uh, Rich and I were in the same company at the same time in Vietnam. I was a platoon leader, of first platoon. He was the platoon sergeant of second platoon. And I'm going like this is just unbelievable that you know of all the people that that were in Vietnam at, at, and like I said there were over 500,000 people in Vietnam the year that we were both there together that we would both be in the same small company uh, and um, and and uh, so um, the the Hall of Fame is a is a wonderful wonderful thing and um, and they've got. Such great people in there, and then I met at the ceremony, uh, the induction ceremony. You know, I met so many other neat, neat people. Uh, you know, you you feel really humbled to be in their company uh, of the things that they've done uh, and the places they've been, and and, and so um, hats off to Rick and Paul for all that they've done to to make oh. that available to, our, to and I'm not sure if other states have that but if they don't they ought to come here and, and model what Rick and Paul have done well Texas is uh, I believe <clears throat> Texas is building one and uh, North Carolina is going to copy uh, our Hall of Fame I believe that they're in the process of doing it you know the military is is so strange I mean it's incredibly strange and I say this, and that you're talking about what what you were just talking about, y'all being in the same place at the same time, and all this. I go through basic, and you get your three days off between basic and AIT. I come back, 
I'm, I might have had a little bit bigger head than I had before I left, but then it might have been hurting a little bit when I come back to lunch on uh, Saturday after my three-day pass after basic, and I come back to my AIT company, and so I'm standing in formation waiting to go in for lunch. And this guy walks by me, uh, an E6 staff sergeant walks by me, and he doesn't get but about a half a step ahead and swings back around. He and I had gone to high school together, and he was my platoon sergeant. Uh, and, uh, you know, it just, he had come to Benning to shake and bake school. And uh, after AIT, I came home, and uh, Danny went to uh, Vietnam. And uh, we we uh, we don't still keep in touch, but uh, I know how to get a hold of him, and we've talked once since then, but... We both, you know, as big as the military is, yep, it can be absolutely. very small. Absolutely. Same thing happened to me when I was in Vietnam. I'm, I'm sitting on a fire base there, and and uh, and this guy walks by me, and I'm going like, uh, that's the guy I went to high school with. In fact, his brother was the president of our, our high school class. He was a couple years ahead of us, Moose Phillips, uh, and Bob was our, our class president. But it's like you don't expect to run into, you know, a high school classmate on a red clay fire base in the middle of vietnam <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, but you know and and ours isn't the only story it happened uh, many many times i guess from yeah. what i understand yeah. of that well i know that guy and sure enough you did but um you know the military and and i want to put, put a plug in not only for uh, for uh Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and Rick White and Paul that do a fantastic job. Also, uh, the uh, Johns Creek uh, Veterans uh, Vietnam Veterans Association that's brought the wall to Johns Creek, the half-scale size of it. And, uh, you know, everybody that gives and gives their time and their money to helping veterans and working with veterans are our heroes and uh, we respect them all and uh, want to thank Greg for coming in driving up from uh, Columbus today to uh, I I don't know why I didn't think about you being down there um, my, yeah I got three kids and four grandkids that live in Atlanta so my car's on autopilot it, <laughs> it, it comes up here by itself so uh, it's it not a big deal. Way, huh? It's not a big deal. Well, no. Good, and I'm glad you didn't have any trouble in it. Uh, not even raining this morning. No, it was a little foggy oh, little early on, but it's it not uh, no rain. Any uh, any last quick words uh, that that uh, you feel like the public should know that uh, we haven't covered? No, I think this has been very very uh, educational for me, and and I've enjoyed very much uh, sharing this hour with you, David. And uh, I appreciate what you do to get uh, to get news out and stories out about veterans through through this wonderful medium that goes everywhere. And uh, I appreciate you offering me an opportunity to be with you for an hour. Well, there's there's one one big string attached to all of this. Will you come back anytime? You ask me, I'll be here fantastic uh you know one other question have you ever heard a veteran tell one story i don't think so maybe a hundred stories but not just one no no and uh i'd love to hear some more of your stories and let the public know and get an idea of what uh 
what you've gone through. And then also I want to put a plug in for if you're down in, in the Columbus area. Go to the museum. Oh, it is Go to the museum. Fantastic. It's free. It's free. Just go to the museum. Best free museum in the United States of America twice in a row. I think, uh, you know, I'm... I'm going to drop in on you one of these days. In the Any time. It would be, be my honor to show you around and take you under the, the archives there and see some stuff that's not on display. Oh. I, you know, I, I, I was not the greatest of soldiers by any means, but uh, from a kid on, you know, and like I said, there's a smell of, of military that is always there. And... Uh, you know, I just uh, I love the equipment. I love the the uh, the weapons and the uh, you know it's interesting the progression of the weapons, how they came about, and uh, and I guess probably the reason that we're the United States and the most powerful country in the world is that we see a need and we we find an answer yeah, to that need, yeah. and we will with this with this virus. Folks. I agree. It'll. It'll be here today and gone tomorrow because we never give up. And our troops don't ever give up. And whenever you see one, buy them that lunch. You'll appreciate it, and uh, they'll appreciate it. And it'll be uh, the most fun that you have ever. So with that being said, we're going to have to uh, – well, no, we got a couple of minutes. I, I'm getting anxious here for some reason. I don't know. We've got a, a couple of minutes to go here, so – um, the Vietnam, unlike, and and this this is why Bob Babcock has done such a good job of remembering the stories of Vietnam told by veterans that served in Vietnam. There's we're we're losing so many. In fact, they're gone from World War II basically and the stories unfortunately those stories die with the people and uh, and in many cases even the families don't know the stories right. and uh, I think what Bob has done is, is just super and uh, he and I are talking about uh, maybe writing a book uh, you know it's uh, Desert Storm and Desert Shield exposed a whole different area of the military, which is called the reserves, it um, absolutely did. And we'd never, we'd never called up and used the reserves like uh, we have in uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's life's a, life's one big change. When when Desert uh, Shield came about uh, after the invasion uh, of Kuwait. I was actually stationed at uh, our national training center out at Fort Irwin, California, and one of our jobs was then to get ready to train the 48th Brigade here in Georgia to go to combat uh, in Desert Storm, and they came and spent about 60 days with us uh, and, and were trained and, and, uh, and deemed a fit to, to fight uh, just as the war ended. Um, but that was a good precursor to what we've been going on since 9-11. 48th Brigade's now probably deployed five or six times uh, to Afghanistan and Iraq, as have almost all the other National Guard uh, infantry divisions and brigades. Uh, and I don't think, I don't, it's not I think, I, I know we could not have done what we've done in the global war on terrorism without the National Guard and the reserves. 
and we have not used them in the way that we've used them in this war since World War II. Uh, There's nothing to compare with their contributions to the war effort uh, since World War II in, in this war. And, and they have acquitted themselves incredibly uh, honorably and valorless, valor bravely. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, uh, and, uh, and we all, we all should uh, thank them. Uh, and if you know somebody who's a, a National Guardsman or a reservist, you may not see him in uniform, but I, I would say the same thing, David, buy him. Buy them lunch, buy them dinner, buy them a drink, and thank them for their service. And uh, one one quick final thing uh, is that those, and my son's a good example. He's he's regular Air Force. He's in serving in Germany now, and when he's deployed, his wife has a backup oh, group on on uh, on the on base. Whereas the National Guard and ARs, Army Reserve, yeah. They're deployed, and their wives have That's no exactly backup. They right. have their neighbors. And That's so exactly right. Always, if you yep. know that uh, a neighbor's been deployed, help that wife out. Change, well, change those light bulbs. Exactly. Mow their grass. Shovel their snow if they live in the north. Um, and and those, those spouses and, and family members are the wind beneath the wings of our service members. And, and without their love and support they couldn't do what they do no and uh i just if i want to really get cold chills think about my dad was a commander in the navy in world war ii and um you know it would take weeks and weeks and weeks to get a letter yeah and how important those letters are and in fact we're going to have somebody on very shortly that will uh that's still doing it still sending out letters in groups to to the military but with that being said it's all the difference in the world having skype and messenger and all that where you can see and relate to your kids or your loved ones that are serving their country wherever it might be and uh Greg, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we're going to have to, um, now we're going to have to end it. I finally come up with about time that uh, I need to put the plug in the jug and get out of here, and uh, thank you for your duty and what you did, and uh, we're going to see you again real soon. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.